0: Have a seat. So grateful that you're here. Happy Easter to you. I'm glad that you're here. It was about four years ago, where when we adopted our son, when we adopted him, he was um, when he was born, he was born uh, addicted. Uh, to both heroin and crack. Had to have several blood transfusions. When he was born, he was born three months early, so his skin was translucent. You could actually see through his skin. When he came home to us, our hearts were broken to see that he was already on two medications. And all this, having seizures, and everything happening A month before all this, two medications, having seizures, it was a month before he was supposed to be born. He had suffered and gone through a great deal. We didn't know what to do, but we knew who to go to. And so we prayed, and we asked God to help us and to help him. And for about the first year, it was touch and go. Nobody knew if he was going to live the first year. And if after the first year, if he was going to have significant mental um, uh, disabilities. And so we went to the only one we knew to go to in such a circumstance. Because when you're in a circumstance like that, when you're in a situation like that, there's no amount of money, no amount of positive thinking, no amount of good uh, uh, vibes or positivity that can get you through something like that. Now, I know that my family is not the only one who's had moments where life just seemed to be turned on its head. I know that I'm not the only one who's had moments where suffering became the only thing that was real in your life. Maybe Maybe it was when that divorce happened that you thought would never take place. And it just crushed you and devastated all of your hopes and dreams for the future. Maybe it's when that loved one died. Maybe it's during a, a season where the doctor has not given good news and, and you are just holding on Barely. All of us have moments in life where we think we're going to collapse, where we think we can't take this anymore, where we think there's no way we're going to get beyond this. And it is for this reason why God reminds us of the resurrection. It is for this reason that God reinforces the truth of his resurrection. And so God wants to reinforce it in a hundred different ways, and one of the ways that he does it is through his word. And today, we're going to look at a story of a woman who experienced terrible sorrow and pain. And as we look at her story, we're going to look to the one who eventually she looked to Because here's the thing. Here's the thing that you have to know. And I know, listen, I'm so, so grateful that you're here. I'm so, so grateful that you're um, with us. By the way, at the end of my talk, I'm going to invite you to have a relationship with Jesus. I'm going to invite you to stand and say, yes, I'm going to receive Christ as my Lord and as my Savior. I want you to be thinking about that. But before I get there, I want you to know That as we suffer, I need you to know this, that the only solution to our suffering, the only real solution to our suffering is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We find that only the Savior can sustain us. Only the Savior can strengthen us. Only the Savior can save us. And that Savior's name is Jesus. But let's pause for a second. Our problem is, is that we run often to the wrong saviors. Every one of us, every one of us, me first, has a Savior that we run to when suffering comes in, when difficulty happens, when hardships come our way. Every one of us have A savior that we pursue when all else is lost, when we feel depressed, when loneliness comes in. I wonder if you know what your savior is. For some of us, that savior, it's simple. It's a drink or a drug. And that's what takes the edge off. In fact, you have vocabulary for this. You say things like, hey, man, you know, I've had a a long week of work, and I'm just trying to relax. And so what you mean by that is taking a beer, drinking, because the beer is going to help bring you comfort. The beer will help save you from your stress. Some of you are single. And you go, I'm going to compromise all sorts of morals. I'm going to go farther than I want to go. I'm going to do all sorts of things that I ought not do. I'm going to do that because married life is going to save me from the loneliness of single life. And then there's a bunch of you who are on the other side of the street and go, this marriage thing is too hard. You know what's going to save me from the suffering of this marriage? The single life. And that's but we all run to a savior. Do you have your savior in mind? We all run to a savior. Someone that, something that we go to. And it doesn't have to be all bad. It doesn't have to be all bad. Our savior, the, the savior is the one who makes us feel whole. The one who we put our hopes in. So for some of us, we've made our children our savior. And so everything is about the kids and we're spoiling them rotten and we're ruining them, but that doesn't matter as long as they say that we're good and they love us. And You see, we all have a savior that we run to. Our children, bad? Of course not. Should we love our children well? Sure. But should we put our hopes and dreams on our children? No. Because they're not our saviors. But we all will look for a savior. We see this in the Bible all the time. In fact, in the very text that we're going to look to today, we're going to see a person who ran to the wrong Savior for a really long time and then eventually found, or I should say, God found her. She doesn't have a name. She's not given a name. We know her as the widow of Zarephath. So her story is simple. She, her husband, we don't know when, he's died. Now, in this culture, this is a really bad scenario. Because in this culture, men were the only ones who could really provide uh, for the home. Well, her husband died, but she has a consolation. The consolation is her son. And so remember, there's no social security in this culture. There's no welfare. If she's going to survive, she's going to need a male figure to provide for her. Her son is that male figure. Well, you know what happens. A drought happens. This is terrible because when the drought happens, you can't ship fruits and vegetables from another state by train. That won't happen. See, when the drought happens, it affects your entire community. And here's what happens. When rain doesn't fall, grass doesn't grow. When grass doesn't grow, animals don't eat. When animals don't eat, and not only grass, but, you know, produce and all the stuff that they grow, doesn't grow, then animals die, and then shortly after that, people die. So she's lost her husband. She doesn't have any produce. She's in a famine. And so she's lost all Now, it's important to understand that she knows a savior as well. His name is Baal. Baal is the god of rain. He makes things grow. He's like uh, fertility. And so what they would do in Zarephath is like this Baal central, Baal central. And what they would do is they would pray to this god. He would make it rain, and they would... Rejoice, that this God provided for them. But now, Baal isn't answering. Now, pause right there. On the other side of town, there's a prophet. A prophet is a person that speaks on behalf of God. So prophet hears from God, and then a prophet declares what God says. That's what a prophet is. Well, this prophet, his name is Elijah. Somebody say Elijah. Elijah. Elijah, the prophet, comes and he goes, he sees this Baal worship. He sees this, that, and by the way, the reason God hates idolatry and he hates when we run to other saviors is because they only lead to our death. They only lead to our destruction. I don't have to tell you how many people have run to something that they thought would save them only to find that that thing that they thought would save them ruined their life. God knows this, and he doesn't want that for you. Because remember, only the Savior can sustain you, especially during suffering. Well, the prophet, God tells the prophet Elijah, he says, go to the king. Go to the king and tell him, I'm not going to let it rain. You know what he's doing, Right? He's going at the heart of their saviors. He's going at the heart of their gods. You know that God will do the same to you? Yeah. You know you know when, like, everything that you ever loved, like, gets taken from you and you think it's Satan? And God is just trying to show you that your salvation is found in something other than Jesus and he wants to make you alerted of that? It's like, oh, God, I loved him. He was so wonderful for me. It was great. I loved him. And, and, and God is like, well, you don't know what I know. And I'm doing you a favor. But sometimes we get in a wrestling match with God and we think we win. We go, oh, I got to keep him. And then four years later, it was like, what was I thinking? Right? Yeah, sure. It happens to all of us cuz when we the worst thing that could possibly happen is that we get a false savior. Like we actually get it, right? It's like the worst thing that can happen. We think that like money will solve all our problems and there's like a whole slew of lottery winners who like say that's the worst thing that ever happened to them. It's cuz we think we think oh, this will save. Oh, this will save. Oh, this will save and Jesus says only I save. Only I save, And so Elijah comes in and he tells the king, he says, it's not going to rain. Not until I say it's going to rain. And God is leading him. So he's speaking for God. So he's really saying that God. So then he hightails it out of town because the king wasn't very happy with that. And he was like hunting him down. And so God provides for Elijah. He provides for him by a brook with ravens. Think about that. God provides, how would you like, like, you know, it's like, what are we having today, God? And like, your waiter is a raven, right? It's like, and I don't know if you know raven, but they're nasty. They'll starve their children before they, like, ravens are nasty animals, birds. And, and God made the raven provide. Because you know what? Where you see no way, where you see impossibility, God can use whatever is around to sustain you during your suffering. And the reason we know this, you know why? Because listen to me. We have a Savior that sustains us. (laughs) That's different from the other Saviors that you're used to. So God does that. But you know what? The brook dried up. The brook dried up and the raven stopped bringing meals and so God said, I want you to go as if the whole brook-raven thing wasn't impossible. He goes, I want you to go and I'm going to show you a woman she'll provide for you. Now, that's a switch. Now, I'm not in this culture, but I'm a Puerto Puerto Rican male, right? And so what that means is that it's really hard for me. And I know, right? I know. Oh, my gosh. This is so sexist. I know. Just flow with my culture for a second, okay? (laughs) So sexist. (sighs) Yes, I'm sure. So here's all I'm saying, that in my culture, that if you don't provide financially for your family, it doesn't look good, to say the least, right? It's not a good fit. If you're a man, you're supposed to, if you're able-bodied man, if you have physical reasons, that's different. But if you're an able-bodied man, you're supposed to provide for your family. Well, in this culture, Elijah's going to be provided by this, what turns out to be the lowest person on the totem pole, a widow. And we just heard her story, right? And so her husband's died. So she's going, and she's picking up sticks. And Elijah sees her, and he has no idea who's going to provide for him. So he asks her a leading question. The question is this, um, bring me something to drink. And it's like a drought. So it's like, wow, that's, that's a big deal. And then he says, what are you doing? And she, No, he goes, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm just I'm collecting sticks. Why? Because I'm going to cook the last meal. That, I'm going to start a fire, cook a meal, and then me and my son are going to die. Because this is the last of our food. So Elijah says, make my food first. Whoa. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. This is my, you see, because let me tell you something. The saviors that we run to are practical they make sense to us this is our last meal this is the only food that we have if we don't eat this we're gonna go hungry if we serve you first it's not gonna be enough for us you see everybody tries to find a savior that will save but saviors don't save if they're not named jesus she tells them as much she goes hey man you know it's last meal please you know that's a lot to ask says don't worry God is going to provide, but he doesn't use the God of what they know, Baal. He says, no, there's a one true living God. If he he would have known Jesus' name, then he would have said, Jesus is going to give you what you need because a Savior, our Savior is in the business of saving. She believes him, shockingly enough. Makes his food. They have this little bit of flour and this little bit of olive oil and it never runs dry. Miraculously. Now, we don't know how God did it. We don't know if every time she went to the cupboard, she was like, oh my gosh, another another cup of flour, another thing of uh, uh, olive oil. We don't know if that's the way it happened or we don't know if it was like what I've experienced in my ministry here There have been many times where my family didn't have anything to eat or clothes for the kids. And people, just recently, we were praying. We were saying, God, man, you know, our son, he needs clothes for the summer. And and as soon as that was, I mean, someone brought us uh, some clothes that fit my son perfectly for the summer. We don't know if God did it that way, like just by putting it on his you know, people's heart to go to their house and give more food. But we do know that every day, flour, olive oil. You know why? I wonder if you know why. Because only a Savior can sustain you. Your bank check, your finances, we don't know. But only a Savior And it is at this point where we find our heroes. She starts to open her heart to the one true God. He's actually real. He's been providing. He's been taking care of us. Her heart is opening, but then tragedy strikes. Tragedy strikes, and she doesn't know what to do. We find it in the text that we just read. 1 Corinthians 17, 17 through 24. Now, we've just read it, so we're not going to stand again and read it. I'll just go through it. Sometime later, the son of the woman, remember, sometime later, God had been providing day after day, week after week, month after month. God is providing. The Savior sustains. The Savior sustains. The Savior sustains. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. Pause. Do you remember what I said in the very beginning? Now, if you've ever lost a child, you know that this is an unnatural thing, right? Everybody knows this, right? Parents are supposed to bury your children. Children are not supposed to bury your parents. We all agree with that, right? It's the other way around. (laughs) Then you don't agree with that. I'm glad you were paying attention. Children are supposed to bury their parents, not parents to their children. Making sure you're paying attention, that's all. (laughs) So children are supposed to bury your parents, not the other way around. So this is tragic enough, but this is doubly tragic. This is doubly tragic, because remember, Who's going to provide for her? This is a death sentence for her. This is not only, she has a double mourning to do. The mourning of her child being lost and the mourning of her future. That's it. This prophet's not going to stay with her forever. She's going to die. His death means her death. He stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, this is so important. And by the way, let me just pause here. Often when you start pursuing God, oftentimes there will be a tragedy that will be a sort of a fork in the road. When you start pursuing God, everybody, you know, because we we hear it so much in America that if you come to Jesus, all of your problems will go away. You'll never get sick. You'll have financial prosperity. You'll never struggle with your addiction. Good night. Did you have bad habits before? Good news. You won't have them anymore because when Jesus comes, Everything gets better, and sugar and spice and everything nice. That's the way it happens. And that's just not true. That's not true. Jesus deals with our idols sometimes one at a pain, and painfully slow pace, one at a time. It's a process. So she's seeing God as greater. He's providing for her. Kid dies. And she goes to Elijah, who represents God. What do you have? She asks him two questions. Listen to these two questions, because they're very, very powerful. She said to Elijah, read this question with me. What do you have against me, man of God? Listen to me. Listen to that. What do you have against me? And the, the uh, implication is, what does God have? against me. What does God have against me? I don't know about you, but for much of my life I didn't think God wanted to have anything to do with me because I was such a screw-up. Because I was so messed up and I was such a mess. She asked the questions that many of us ask. Does God have something against me? And then she says, did you come to remind me of Because many times, when tragedy strikes our lives, what we do is, oh, this is especially, oh my gosh, especially if you're in a, a Latino background, this is God, anybody else here grow up, this is God punishing you for whatever? Yeah. Like even if, like I, even today, when my kids misbehave, this is God, you know, like I, that, that's in my head. Like my, my parents put that in my head like strong. Don't worry, Tú lo va pagar. you know, you're gonna pay for this. And we all knew, we understood completely. Oh, our kids, they're going to give to us what we gave to our parents. And so, listen, did you come to remind me of my sin? Can I tell you that not all tragedy that happens is connected to your sin? And for some of you, that's, that's enough. You, you came here, and God wanted you to hear that. That the tragedy that you're going through doesn't mean that God has abandoned you or doesn't love you. Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? (sighs) Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow? I am staying with by causing her son to die. Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's Life returned to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Do you see what's going on here? What's happening is that the woman in her desperation calls on to the one living God, the only person that she knows in her entire community that knows the one true living God. This one calls on this prophet, calls on Jesus and asks for a saving that only God could give. Her son is resuscitated. It's a miracle. He stopped breathing, and now he's resuscitated. And then she says, now watch this, because when resurrection happens, listen to me, when resurrection happens... It makes you love and pursue the savior. She says this. She doesn't say, notice what she doesn't say. My son, my son, thank you for bringing back my son to life. She doesn't say that. She doesn't say, whoa, how'd you do that? Let's go on the road with this. We can make a lot of money. She doesn't do that. That's what happens to televangelists. She doesn't say, um, this is incredible. Do something else. She doesn't say any of that stuff. Here's what she says. Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is truth. Do you see it? In other words, Baal and his word are not true. Baal and his word are not from God. Only God is God. She realized that only God could sustain her. Now, what does all this have to do with Easter? Well, everything. You see, you and I, if I can speak plainly, You and I, for the most part, love God insofar as he gives us what we want. Like, I love Jesus so long as Jesus is all about serving me. So as long as God is like a cosmic, um, like he's like a cosmic waiter, right? And so he has the white uh, towel around his arm, and he comes and he sees, oh, look, I have a little less water. So he comes and he fills up my water. And he goes, oh, would you like any pepper with that? And we go, yeah, sure, give me some more pepper. And, so, and then he comes back, is there anything else? Dessert, anything else I can get you? And we think that God is like that. And in the moment God stops being like that, we find no use for God at all because it's God's purpose to make us happy, not our purpose to worship God. Do you see the difference? So when you and I go through suffering... We think, this must be God reminding us of our sin. And we then go, well, maybe God wants nothing to do with us. And then we say, that's it. I'm going to go to my other familiar saviors. But God is going, no, 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 no. That's not what I want for your life. That's not how I want you to pursue. That, or that, rather, that's not what I want you to pursue. And then there's others of us who say, Well, you know, I could believe God if he would have gotten my mother out of her sickbed. I could believe God if he would have saved my beloved person who I loved with all my heart. That went went really bad, and there was no resurrection. Of course she believes. Look at the miracle that she saw. Or you go, I could believe God if, he, if, if the marriage wouldn't have fallen apart, if the disease wouldn't have ravaged so much of my body, if I could have victory over the temptation that I continually fall to. Then maybe I could believe God because I could see the miracle happening. And, and God is going, no, 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 no. I've given you a better miracle. You see, and that's what brings us to Easter. This woman's son... He died again. I promise you he did. The text doesn't say, but I assure you, this kid is not around anymore. And it doesn't matter how many years he got, he died again. But there was one. There was one who came, not who died of his own sickness, but died for the sin sickness that his people were experiencing. This one came not to just be resuscitated but to be resurrected so that we might be able to trust In him, knowing that if he could conquer sin and death and the grave, then maybe our shame wouldn't be too great for him to conquer. Maybe our sadness and depression wouldn't be too great for him to conquer. Maybe uh, the the loss of a marriage or the pain of a lost loved one, maybe the finances going, maybe that wouldn't be the last word because he rose from the grave. And draws us to himself. So, we have a great. The reason we don't freak out, like the reason we do golf claps, oh my gosh, rose from the grave. That's fantastic. Man, anything else you got? Because I got lunch. Yeah, The reason we don't freak out over it is because we don't recognize it. It's not deep enough into our souls. We don't see. Listen to me. What this means is that the shame that you rightly deserve has been nailed to Jesus on the cross. This means that the loneliness that you feel you can come to Christ and he can give you a companionship that would be greater than any other companionship than you could ever know. This means that when you're body is wasting away and that your life is leaving you. That's not the end. That's only the beginning because there is life everlasting. This means that when your loved one and your beautiful baby is sick and near death, you can go. This might not end well this side of the earth. But My hope is in Christ. I might be able to see this baby again because our hope is in Christ. Because, listen to me, only the Savior can sustain you. Only the Savior. In a bad marriage, only the Savior can encourage you rather than trying to find you're trying to please your wife or please your husband, rather than trying to find their approval, you find approval in Christ because Christ is the one who satisfies and loves, and he's proven his love by dying on the cross. When you looking, when you feel all anxious and afraid and everything is out of control, Jesus, you could go, I could, Jesus, I'm not in control, but you're in complete control. I might be sweating this one, but there is no sweat on your brow because you are in complete control and I can... Trust you, when you're looking for other influence and other people to recognize you, you can go. God, you have done great things, and you see everything that I've done, and it's for your glory. And when when peace has left you, you can go. God, you're my peace. You're my comfort. Not this video game. Not this sports uh, entertainment. Not this uh, bad habit or good habit. You are my comfort because He rose from the grave to save us. And we have a savior in Christ that sustains. Now, remember what I said at the beginning? At the beginning, I said I was going to invite you to Jesus. My hope is that you receive Christ. Now, if you're here and you know Jesus, then let this message be an encouragement to you. Like, be encouraged. He rose from the grave, and it's better. Like, his rising from the grave, let me tell you something. The father's son rising from the grave is even better than my son rising from the grave. Because the father's son rising from the grave ensures that I'll be able to see my son even after the grave. And that won't be for a time. That will be for an eternity. Good, good news. That's why we call it good, good news. Now, there are those of you here who you know that, and you're like, yeah, let that go deep into your souls. But let me speak to a bunch of you who maybe don't know that. Now, I want you to know, in like three or four minutes, I'm going to ask you to stand as a symbol of your surrender to Christ So in a few minutes, I'm going to ask those of you who don't know Christ, and what I mean by don't know Christ is maybe that's the wrong way to say it. For those of you who Jesus is not like the boss of your body. Do you know what I mean when I say Jesus is the boss of your body? In other words, if you want to do something, you do it. If you don't want to do something, you don't do it. But Jesus has nothing to do with the decision. So for those of you who Jesus is not the boss of your body, I would like to give you an opportunity to come to him. This is the one, listen to me. This is the one who not only rose from the grave and spoke the words of God, but took on your sin even while you were still yet sinning and wanted nothing to do with him. He's for you. You go, you don't understand. God doesn't want anything to do with me because um, I've just done things that are too bad. I'm surprised that the, the roof hasn't caved in. Let me tell you something. You're in really good company. Because I'm guessing that sitting in this room is a person there's nobody in this room who is like there's nothing, there's pretty much nothing that you've done that others haven't experienced in this room. I'm telling you, I'm the worst one here. Like you you cannot outsend me. I'm I'm true. I'm just that bad. It's true. I mean, I say that to my shame. I don't, I don't think that that's something delightful to say. I think it's, it's terrible. But the fact is, is that I'm not up here because I'm good. I'm up here because I belong to God. And so, so listen, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. Jesus is calling you to himself. He wants to be the boss of your life. And so what does that look like? Well, it's simple. It looks like this. We come to God and we say, Jesus, here's the deal. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. And then you can confess that sin. So just admit that God is right. I'm sorry. First thing you do is just admit that God is right and you're wrong. Okay? No excuses. No excuses for what you've done. Oh, but you should have seen what she did. That's why I did what I did. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bad is bad no matter how you, you know, there's no right way to do a wrong thing. Right? Okay. So you just admit to God. Yeah, God. and, And get specific. Maybe it was that Tuesday night, maybe it was that Thursday afternoon, maybe it was that Saturday night, I don't know. But everybody has stuff that they walk around with that they feel guilt about. Okay, so that's the first thing. Just admit to God that you're this archaic word, a sinner. I know it's a lot to take in, but that you have not lived for him, which is basically what sin means. Then, secondly, just believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, even your sins. And I'm talking to people who are as bad as you could possibly, like you are an overachiever when it comes to sin, right? I'm talking to you, and I'm talking to, like, really boring sinners, right? That there's, like, not much there. Both of us need Christ. We need saving. Listen. And then thirdly, declare to Jesus, you be the boss of my body. Now, in just a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to come to Christ. But before I do that, we have a person who's going to just share their testimony of how God has sustained her during a very difficult season. And I want you to just listen to, you know, listen to all that God has done, um, even through suffering and even through pain. With that, let's uh, make Shelly feel welcome as she comes up and shares the story of Don.
1: Hi everyone, um, I'm here this Easter, actually with baby Emma, that's my little hero over there. She's 16 months old today. 16 months and five days now, and that's a very big deal for our family, and here's why. I'm going to read word for word, and this testimony, this is really all ongoing in my life, so I'll just start with the fact that she's our, she's a precious joy to us, to our family, Um, a testament of God's mercy, his faithfulness, his love and strength. And it's been a journey of fear, of love, of joy, pain, and mostly uncertainty. I never knew I experienced life wondering what each minute was going to bring. It's been countless moments where I wondered what each day would bring with Emma, and if that was the day, or this day that's coming is the day that she would be going home with Jesus. Before that, I would take for granted any day or hour. I can plan anything and say next week, next month, next year, we're going to do this. Even with my oldest, Zoe, but now that's changed. I found out about Emma's diagnosis a few hours after I had an emergency C-section. She was born um, two a month early, and. When my water broke, I was pretty much in a daze, but I still had confidence that, okay, maybe she'll just be a little bit underweight, but this will be just a little bit of a difficulty. I ran to the, my family, we rushed to the hospital, and when they put me on a monitor, I didn't hear the same steady, quick heartbeat that I usually hear. It was slowing down, like gradually, as I heard the heartbeat on the monitor. And then they rushed me to have an emergency C-section. And a few hours later, probably four hours later, recovering from anesthesia, I was hoping to see Emma, but I saw saw my husband and he did not look happy at all, he looked very sad. And he didn't really say anything to me, he actually called the doctors over to speak to me. And they overloaded me with just information I was not ready to hear. And some of it included that she was born with a cleft lip, that she had clenched fists, her, ear, her ears were downward, she had no esophagus, um, she had rocker-bottom feet, she wasn't have. She had no ability to eat and just food, she had small undeveloped lungs, a hole in her heart, and they had suspected that she had a rare illness where babies with this disease, which is trisomy 18, they don't make it past birth, but being that she had so many complexities along with it, they they immediately told me that she probably won't make it past a few hours and if anything a week so taking all this information in all honesty i didn't want to see her i was very scared and i just i didn't know what to think but i was very overwhelmed so I was when I say I'm overwhelmed, I was just wondering why was this happening? how did it happen, what did I do wrong, what went wrong, and how I'm going to get through life, seeing my baby die so I'd visit Emma every day in the neonatal ICU The doctors would see me, they'd see my husband, you know they would look at us sadly, um, expecting her death soon, and I was trying to figure out all of this. Funeral arrangements. I even had my sister come, and she wanted to plan with me, and I didn't want to talk about it. I just avoided her with that. Um, To be honest, I didn't know how to pray anything but what is considered selfish prayers, saying, God, show yourself strong. Extend Emma's days. Heal Emma. Prove the doctors wrong. Please, God, let me bring Emma home. Give her breath. Breathe your breath into her lungs. And I would speak to Emma. I would tell her she loved being home. She, she would love to meet her big sister, that it's not fun here in the hospital. Um, if she holds on and she waits, she'll get to experience love from all of us. And little did I realize in this trauma, Emma was already experiencing perfect love and peace and comfort from her good, good father. And I wanted, to tell, I wanted God to tell me something definite, answers, tell me, you know, when the time will come or anything, but he just continued to remind me to trust in him. And I was definitely not receptive to that because along with me trusting in him, there was a lot of fear. And he reminded me through the nights that I felt like I was drowning that he so very much is with me. And through her four-month stay, specifically 127 days in the NICU, there were too many ups and downs to count. There were a number of days when I was certain that Emma was not. It was her last day when I would t- see her turn blue. She was on a ventilator. They had to increase her levels. There were always emergency rushes from numbers of doctors coming to resuscitate her. And no matter the outcome, I wasn't sure if I could emotionally take the outcome. But I had to jump into trusting God that he would provide his guidance and strength to whatever the day brought. And she spent over a third of her life in the hospital between being in the NICU for 4 months and a pediatric ICU which she was in there for 2 months recently. Um, it's been a beautiful but tumultuous tumultuous 40, 495 days with baby Emma. She was born with two illnesses statistically saying that she won't make it to live a year. So she has tracheoesophageal fistula and then she has trisomy 18. So all of that had her facing death and she's faced seven different surgeries in the hospital. And the first surgery that they, could, they tried to convince us not to have, and I didn't want to have her. They said that if she had it, she definitely would not make it. And we still wanted to give her a chance at life, still trust, trust, trust in God. And with the surgery, we have had family meetings and even with her lungs collapsing, they said she can't have the surgery anyway and somehow her lungs resolve. thank God. And she did have the surgery and the, she was in the best hospital ever. Like she was in one of the best hospitals in um, New York City, Cornell. And the doctors were so confident, but then after the surgery, they were like, oh yeah, that was the smallest baby we ever had a surgery on. And I was like, I'm glad they didn't tell us that beforehand. And then they were saying that um, that that was the first baby they ever had to operate on that had these illnesses, that had that illness. But um, she was, so Emma was very alive, active, when I was carrying her. Nothing that was alarming was going on. But when she was born, she had an Apgar score, which, which was at zero. Um, That means that she was born with basically no vitals, no signs of movement, and immediately immediately needing breathing assistance. And I believe God brought her to life and said that her time was not yet. And it's true that like Elijah, you guys here are the men and women of God that prayed and cried out to God on our behalf. You fasted and sought God. You begged for his grace and mercy and his power on Emma's life. And I just wanna thank you guys for for being there and it's the prayers of the Elijah's like you here at our house who have been encouraging to me and to my husband to my my daughters to continue in our faith in god to not grow weary to not lose hope in christ your prayers and petitioning for the hand of god to move and bring life to strengthen to heal to grow emma you guys my church family came together petitioning and prayer um i just have to say that i am grateful for this journey because although It is traumatic a lot of times. It's more than anything strengthened my faith in Christ. Um, Emma, like I said, she's my hero. I've never cried out and ran to God so much as I've done in these past 16 months. Or I didn't know what relying on God was like until now. And my definition of trust is totally redefined. So, the journey still continues. The fight is still going. And Emma's life is definitely a testimony of God's faithfulness. And I'm thankful that we still have her here. And I ask you for your continued prayers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, you see, in moments like that, you don't need positive thinking, you don't need Spiritual principles. You need a Savior who could sustain you. And so, I would ask you to come to Christ. Come to Christ. He's already come and drawn you to Himself.